Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 18, coming out for the second quarter of January 2012. Today I'm bringing you an interview with an intriguing personage who is going to talk about ancient aliens. I met this person in cyberspace, and it was frenemies at first sight. Parrot, as he's known on the SGU message boards, or Dumbass, as he's known on his blog and podcasts, is the CEO, CFO, COO, and Supreme Overlord of the Dumbass Media Empire, and produces the Dumbass's Guide to Knowledge podcast and blog, as well as the Invisible Sky Monster podcast, which I've been a guest on. Parrot, as I'll refer to him here, was soliciting feedback on his nation podcast about a year ago, and I gave it only four stars, something for which he hasn't really forgiven me, although he kind of accepted my apology and did take me off his enemies list, where I had such pleasant company as James Randi, and I think even Santa Claus for a brief period. I think that's the only important background, but I'm contractually obligated to state that he's also a Canadian web programmer and writer. With that in mind, please be kind to him, and welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast, Parrot. Hey, Stu. Um, I just want to say up front, uh, congratulations, because you're getting a whole lot of attention uh, for your podcast, even though you've only been around for a few months. Your popularity has, like, shot through the roof. Yeah, and lot- me yeah. and my dozen listeners. <laughs> oh, you've got a lot more iTunes reviews than I do. Although uh, I'm proud of the fact that on the U.S. iTunes I have 12 reviews, all except for one giving me five stars. <laughs> I don't know what that other ne'er-do-wells problem is. Well, maybe they just had some issues towards the beginning. <laughs> your, your podcast is a kind that sort of uh, grows on someone because you. I, my review was you, know, you don't really know what to expect with your podcast, whereas with mine at least it's... It sort of generally fits into the same types of topics, whereas yours has been a, a very much a random collection. Although, one thing that really has been a theme, at least in pretty much every other episode of yours, is the ancient alien stuff. Yeah, uh, that, that one uh, has uh, really taken off. When I first started the blog, um, my main uh, thing was I just wanted to get into, um, you know, uh, analyzing, you know, different uh, claims and different... Uh, uh, stuff that are put out there. So that that's basically what I was doing. You know, see, uh, I saw something that looked interesting. I delved into it, tried to figure out exactly what was going on, and uh, uh, came out with a whole bunch of articles. And when I first uh, started the the podcast, I, my uh, idea was to go through a lot of the articles and in, investigations that I've done and try to put this stuff out there in podcast form. And you just sort of hooked on to the ancient alien stuff, or you got a lot of feedback on that, or you found it particularly interesting? Well, yeah, um, uh, I didn't. I didn't intend for the ancient alien things to take off the way it did when I first when it first happened. I, I found this program, Ancient Aliens. You know, the first episode, the evidence, and um, I, I thought, oh, this will be good for a laugh. Maybe I'll write a blog article about it. And I started watching it, and there was just so much stuff there that you know I had to uh, get my notepad and start. Uh, uh, put it, you know, you know, making notes on things to look up and everything. And um, I, I wrote uh, one article about it. Uh, uh, the first article I I, I, I found that uh, the first uh, segment of it, ten minutes or so, ten thirteen minutes, something like that, took up like a whole big article on it. And I thought, wow, there's just a gold mine of stuff here. And then um, I uh, the stuff that I uh, started writing about it uh, 
became like uh, this, uh, I guess it got a lot of attention from the search engines, and people just started, uh, uh, it became really popular, people uh, visiting and uh, commenting on it, both positive and negative. And so, like, uh, I've been uh, going through uh, all the segments of the Ancient Alien show, uh, segment by segment, uh, trying to uh, handle every uh, claim that they put out there. And um, it's gotten a lot more attention than I intended at the start, but it's been a lot of fun, too, because it's it's just a really uh, neat um, kind of theory to go over and analyze. Hypothesis. <laughs> Hypothesis. You're, you're right. <laughs> We, we we should uh, we should be specific in our terminology, shouldn't we? Right, well, you know, I, I tried to be specific in my terminology, and hypothesis versus theory is something that uh, it's one of my pet peeves with with this kind of stuff. But yeah, that was actually kind of like with my blog, where I was getting maybe you know twenty hits a day or something, and then I started writing about twenty twelve back in early two thousand nine, and my readership went up to more an average of two hundred a day. So sometimes you really do just latch on some topic that seems to be very popular and you you get a lot of interested people for better or for worse but you know it's gotten you i guess an interview on carl mamer's conspiracy skeptic it's yeah now gotten you an interview yeah, yeah, carl here mamer was a, carl mamer was another one who was on my enemies list if you remember i do i do but yeah um, he's like a canadian you know how many canadians can you enemize before well, i probably shouldn't use the word enemize <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that in. Um, enemy eyes. <laughs> How many Canadians can you put on your enemies list before it's like half the country? <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. There are only that uh, dozen of us. You know, it's yeah, and you you all are on. You know, you all wear red and are on horseback or something. Uh, yeah, the Mounties. Uh, anyway, oh, no. I, I I think that my listeners might be clamoring for. Okay, enough with that. Let's get to the actual meat. So. Uh, before we get into specifics, can you give us an overview of some of the proposed scenarios for alien visitation? Like, were we some ancient brothel, or <laughs> did the aliens create us? Or what are some of the the broad ideas that people put out there? Well, you know, there's a there are a lot of it, it, there's no real um there, there's no real dogma in here. There's a lot of just people um, speculating about different uh, a whole lot of different things. Uh, about uh, how they, they don't really have any clear indication of exactly uh, what they think happened, but you know there there are, there are a few. I mean, um, the earliest uh, that I can uh, from from my uh, looking at this um, my research uh, may have been uh, the zoo hypothesis, um, which uh, which lo- it looks like uh, may have been proposed by Charles Fort as early as 1915. Uh, Charles Fort is the one where we get the term uh, Fortian from. Uh, he uh, he was an early um, mysticism type guy um uh there's uh, a quote from an unpublished manuscript from 1915 uh that where he says uh, the earth is a farm we are someone else's property which is uh you know basically the idea and um i believe they've portrayed this on uh south park uh that uh the earth basically um we're kind of like a zoo uh, that uh, the aliens uh, are uh, are watching us uh laughing at our antics or so i guess yeah uh, the uh, the one that uh, the one that I really like is uh, von Daniken's suggestion uh, that the aliens just uh, came down one day, got a little horny, uh, took a gander at the local ape-like pre-humans, and said to themselves, "I gotta get me some of that." Uh, this- <laughs> Isn't that what Rebecca Watson terms uh, the "I want to make sweet, sweet monkey love" hypothesis? <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> 
I, I haven't heard her say that, but that that is a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think that was from a few years ago uh, when I first started listening to SGU. But yeah, so this this idea that they the, the aliens liked bestiality. Uh, yeah, could you go into that a little more. Yeah, um, if, well, <laughs> for better for worse, Von Daniken um, uh, speculates that. Uh, uh, and Von Tannikin is the guy uh, in um, the 60s, I believe, 68. He wrote uh, Chariots of the Gods, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was a, a book, you know, all about... Uh, he, he was the one who really uh, took off with it when it became really a really popular um, uh, hypothesis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'll note for my listeners that I do plan on doing an Eric Von Tannikin dedicated episode in the future. Oh, that'll be one. wonderful. I'm looking forward to that. Um no, but uh, he, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's when it took off. Like there, there were people before him who were who were speculating about that. Even Carl Sagan uh, speculated about that uh, before Von Daniken, but uh, his was, you know, like he uh, he kept it scientific. So it said, you know, you know, maybe uh, if aliens visited us, us in the ancient past, they might they might have left something behind. Um, but you know, he kept he he kept it to just speculation. Didn't make any claims or anything. But uh, yeah, um, back to uh, his uh, claim here. He uh, he speculates that uh, uh, the aliens came down, mated with our pre-human ancestors, and that was uh, what was responsible for the uh, um, evolutionary jump to modern humans. And he's even he's got some uh, some very interesting claims here that you know um, there's apparently this uh, ancient Egyptian mummy, um, the priestess Makare, daughter of Pharaoh Pingjem. Uh, dated to uh, 1075 BC, um, uh, she was buried uh, with a small mummified bundle in in her tomb with her, uh, and um, people originally thought that it was probably a baby. But when they X-rayed it in 1972, they discovered it was actually a baboon, and they figured, oh well, it's probably um, Makare's pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Von Daniken uh, said that uh, maybe it was her child. Uh, he suggests, um, without any evidence to back him up that Makare may have given birth to a baboon-human hybrid, and he speculates that aliens were conducting genetic experiments, creating monkey men and stuff. And here's the kicker. He thinks that they were doing it just for kicks and giggles. (laughs) I mean, I've got a quote from... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, they're just having fun. I've got a quote from him on the subject. I'll read it out to you here. Um, the The extraterrestrials had found a way to keep themselves busy. They merrily invented one monster after another. And they observed with much amusement the reactions of the flabbergasted humans. Unquote. <laughs> huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I guess whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. It, so um, they're just, uh, it, it, he's just making, you know, uh, just uh, running off pure imagination as far as I can see uh, on this one. Um, there, there's really no evidence for any uh, human-alien hybrids or anything. It's just, you know... It, but it's fun to imagine that the aliens came down and were uh, doing all these genetic experiments, right? I I suppose. I tend to imagine other things, but I I guess if you're of that particular type, you <laughs> might be interested in that. Um, I guess, actually, that brings us to the idea that, you know, you spent many, many hours going over some of the evidence discussed in the Ancient Aliens on your podcast and your blog, Uh, and I'll be linking to relevant posts in the show notes uh, for this episode on my website. But 
uh, for the bulk of the rest of the interview, I'd like to focus on specific things like that people actually do point out as evidence for the ancient aliens hypothesis or idea or statement, because it seems really to be more of a just putting it out there kind of thing until you actually do get to some of these pieces of evidence that people point out. So, uh, first off, probably one of the most visible things, um, what about the pyramids? Uh, why do people think that aliens built the pyramids, and is there actually any evidence that, you know, UFOs lifted the blocks into place with their graviton beams? <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of things that people uh, make claims about the pyramids. It's, they're just uh, right for a lot of claims. Um, some people claim, and I recently got an email uh, from a person uh, saying this uh, not too long ago, um, <clears throat> there's, there's a claim that... Um, pyramids just appeared out of nowhere without any cultural uh, uh, cultural uh, antecedents to them that uh, um, suddenly Egyptians just started building pyramids and you know uh, that that's one claim uh, that's advanced by um, uh, von Daniken uh, advanced that as well as uh, Graham Hancock I believe advanced uh, that theory um, and that's just not true I mean uh, the, we have lots of uh, things preceding pyramids. Uh, they first started building uh, uh, one, like just one uh, stone slab type of uh, uh, buildings, a big, just a big slab called mastabas, and then uh, uh, from there they progressed on, uh, started adding on uh, more layers to the mastabas until they, they eventually uh, got uh, a, a step pyramid. Um, and uh, from, and then uh, after that, uh, they started experimenting with building a true pyramid with the with the real slanting slopes. And they've got uh, they've even got the um, uh, the uh, mistakes that they made along the way. There's something called the collapsed pyramid and another one called the bent pyramid, which were basically mistakes that they made uh, in uh, trying to figure out how to build a, a full pyramid. Uh, so the, the the pyramids didn't just appear out of nowhere. That's something they just made up. But uh, also, they they uh, talk about um, they they try to say that uh, uh, there's no way the Egyptians could have moved the blocks uh, right. into I place. Was actually, just listening to uh, an ancient aliens happy coast to coast AM episode last night, where the guy it was actually Graham Hancock, where he was just repeating, you know, you have these giant blocks of 60 tons each and they're placed so finely that you can't even get a razor blade between them and they're they're perfectly placed there and there's no way that you know we could even do it with modern technology today so i mean if we couldn't do it how the heck did these ancient primitives do it yeah well we know how they did it because they they tell us how they did it they left records of how they did it uh they loaded the blocks up onto onto a sled and uh, they got uh, uh, they got some guy in the front uh, pouring some lubricant down. They uh, they probably used some sleepers. Uh, we we know that uh, they used uh, sleepers uh, to bring the to to bring them up uh, uh, the the ramps to get to the pyramid. And we know that they used ramps because uh, uh, we've got uh, the remnants of uh, uh, ramps from unfinished pyramids that never got built. So we we've got the remnants of this stuff. We know they used ramps. We don't know exactly all the configurations and how they did everything, but. We've got all this evidence, and um, there's this, uh, uh, you know, pulling them, pulling the blocks uh, to the uh, uh, to the site of the pyramids uh, wouldn't uh, have been that hard. I mean, we've got uh, um, records from the Egyptians of them moving uh, these uh, 
multi-ton stone blocks, you know, 60, 70, 80 uh, ton stone blocks. They, they got a couple hundred people to pull and they lubricate, lubricated uh, everything up and they, did, they just pulled on a sled. And it, it can be done if you've got enough uh, manpower uh, to pull. Okay. What are sleepers, uh, just terminology-wise? Like, like, ru- like runners, just wooden, wooden runners uh, that you, you uh, put on uh, for it to reduce friction. Okay. Um, what about the claim that there are pyramids all over the world? So, I mean, yeah, the, we modern archaeologists claim that, for example, the Mayans didn't communicate with the Chinese, didn't communicate with the Egyptians, but they all converged on the pyramid form. So it had to you know, either be aliens or it had to be the remnants of Atlantis scattered throughout the planet. Have you looked into that at all? Yeah, well, um, the, uh, the there there is there are a bunch of aspects of that. First of all, um, pyramids, you know, bu- building if you're if you're building with stone, and basically all they had to build with uh, in those days was uh, stone stone and wood, basically, or they could use mud bricks or whatever. But when you're building uh, with those kinds of materials, you can't just build um, in the way that we can build skyscrapers today, straight up. You've got your base has to be. Um, well, wider than uh, than your top. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to be very stable. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, the, so the pyramid shape pretty much just uh, went out out of physical necessity. So um, they were kind of building giant sandcastles, I mean, basically, you, you, or piles of sand. Because if you you know, grab a bunch of sand and then start dropping it down, it's going to form a pyramid because that's the most stable form in that case. Exactly, and. Um, and when you look at uh, the pyramids in in these different cultures, they're not uh, very similar to each other. They 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 look different. Um, they were built out of different materials. They were used for different purposes. And so to suggest that uh, there's some sort of cultural, uh, cult, you know, cultural exchange that they they all came from the same thing just because they're just pyramids, is uh, you know, it's much too general of a uh, uh, of a comparison to make, you know. So it's kind of like uh, arguing, well, pretty much every culture invented some form of alcohol, therefore they all communicated with each other? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, pretty much every culture developed um, uh, agriculture and, uh, you know, they uh, uh, got, you know, um, livestock and stuff and they invented farming. But, you know, they all did it uh, much differently than each other. They had different uh, grains, different farm animals, you know, so like... Uh, Looking at uh, the very loose similarities while not looking at the very real differences kinds of leads you astray in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what about the Golden Flyer? That seems to be very popular. <laughs> oh, I get a lot of uh, email about the Golden Flyer. Um, now, I don't know about you, uh, but uh, you know, um, you might uh, want to show a, an image of it on, on your page. Now, people, what they're saying is that this is a, it, well, it's one out of about a half dozen figurines uh, from an ancient uh, Tolima uh, site, a Colombian, a pre-Columbian, I believe, um, site, um, that uh, they claim uh, these figures look uh, eerily similar to jet fighters. And, you know, looking at it, you know, they, they do have the similarity. They have, like, the wings out to the side, and they've got uh, a kind of a tail thing. So it's kind of like, you know, They've got uh, similar um, parts in place, but um, I think if you look at it honestly, you've got to admit that they don't really resemble modern jet fighters very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at one now. It just, yeah, it seems actually kind of like the pyramids. Like, yeah, you can draw some similarities, but there are some big differences. <laughs> 
Yeah. But anyway, um, the claim in the um, in, in the episode um, was that, you know because like they got this the the golden flyer and it, it, it's just uh, it's one of them. Uh, and they got it. They, they put it through. They, they made a, a scaled up model of it and put it into a web tunnel and said, "Oh wow, you know it, it's it's aerodynamic." And so they uh, put an engine to it and they uh, got some remote controls and uh, they made it fly through the air. And um, uh, they they uh, seem to think that this means oh they they had knowledge of aerodynamics. They they they, they built something that could actually fly. And the thing is, when you look at it, well, first of all, they made a lot of changes to the design of the thing in, in order to make it aerodynamic. They uh, they did uh, they made the wings uh, swept back and um, they they uh, uh, gave them that uh, the curvature of the wing in order because like the original didn't have that, and the original had a bunch of frills along the wings that would have messed up with the aerodynamics. They just shaved that right off, um, and they made uh, some uh, subtle changes to the body and stuff, and uh, removed a lot of the bumps and and things like that. Uh, and yeah, the, I'm looking at the images now, and actually, when you do uh, some web searches for these, your vlog is what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they made uh, all these drastic changes, and they and they have the gall to say, "Oh, you know, this is just a scaled up version. They knew they they could uh, use these things to fly." And uh, the interesting thing is uh, also when you look at you got you look at them in comparison to the other like half dozen. Um, uh, flying uh, uh, things that they uh, that they thought were uh, uh, in the same league as the Golden Flyer, uh, you can clearly see that these things were rep- meant to represent animals, and I think uh, mostly uh, uh, mythological sea creatures. Uh, have you have you seen the picture of the of the other uh, uh, Golden Flyer uh, examples? Uh, yeah, I actually started to watch the History Channel episode, uh, the very first one, and. Yeah, I had to turn it off after a bit. You have more, <laughs> yeah. I have more patience than some people with some things, but uh, you have more patience with this than I. <laughs> well, I, I had to watch it in uh, in segments, you know, so because I, I was taking notes all along the way of things to look up and figure out exactly uh, what the uh, what the thing was. So I I haven't watched any of the other episodes because you know it, it just takes up uh, so much of my time uh, looking this stuff up and figuring out what they're talking about. Yeah, I I can relate to that. So, so basically, the conventional archaeology explanation is that these are boring, just you know, sea creatures or animals, and the ancient aliens' idea is that these are flying machines, but they're when they actually go to prove that they're flying machines by scaling them up, they, they make a large number of design changes, and so yeah. then say, yeah, this is exactly the same, except for all of these things that we've changed in order to make it actually work. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, when you look at the Golden Flyer, I think uh, this this one seems to be the only only one that they could get away with that with, you know, the, um, get making uh, the the kinds of design changes they did. The other ones, um, I mean, uh, I've even uh, seen uh, people uh, uh, on the ancient alien side admitting um, there there's the, there's this other one that they like. It's the um, uh, it's the logo for the uh, Ancient Astronaut Society, I believe. Um, uh, that they used that it's uh it, it looks like a very swept back design um it looks more mechanical than the others but um but uh the the problem with it is that its center of gravity is just way off and uh, and i've seen uh some um speculation about this on the ancient alien side uh they said to the, they, they were trying to argue oh well if you if you um if you think of the nose of the craft if you think that it uh, bends out of the way like 
kind of uh, uh, it, it might be a jet to, to slow to slow the the craft down, and then it bends out of the way, uh, which would uh, uh, you know give uh, make it uh, more stable in flight. But then if it wants to slow down, this no- the nose would come back up again and uh, jet out, and it's like. What uh, aircraft design has ever done anything like that? That would be <laughs> be complicated. Yeah, they they they, they make all these uh, these extra arguments for it that uh, don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, it, when you just look at uh, the the figurines that they show there in in the car in the the Golden Flyer, in context of all the other ones, it's pretty clear that it's some sort of, sort of mythological creature. Okay, uh, so what about the Christian Bible? There are some evidences that people point to in that uh, collection of works. We'll say. <laughs> yeah, um, well, the one that they uh, harp on a lot uh, in the Ancient Alien show is um, Ezekiel. Um, the the uh, God's chariot in Ezekiel, they think, was a spacecraft. Uh, and some of this, the description... Um, uh, kind of, uh, kind of leads in that direction, but uh, you know, like you have to interpret it very loosely. Um, Is this the and, whole uh, wheels within the wheels thing? Oh yes, yes, that's okay. the one. Um, ha- have you gone over uh, all that? Or? I, I've only heard it come up uh, frequently on Coast to Coast, where the the host is very. Uh, Whenever he brings up the Bible and evidence for aliens, he goes, "It's all about Ezekiel and wheels within wheels within wheels." And it's like. <laughs> So they were describing gears, and you think that this was a UFO, or so. So what? What are they actually talking about, or what do? What is the mainstream idea for what Ezekiel was talking about? Well, um, this is basically um, uh, Ezekiel uh, uh, basically uh, had a vision here. There's uh, there's no reason to think that uh, this this actually happened to Ezekiel, but um, it's something that. Uh, uh, that uh, Ezekiel put down as a vision that he had of God coming to him and everything, and you you pretty much have to ignore all of the all of the other aspects of Ezekiel in order to fit this in because God comes up to uh, Ezekiel and makes him do a lot of uh, really funny, strange things that makes absolutely no context uh, in terms of uh, him being an alien. Uh, uh, but um, they they, t- they take this uh, and uh, specifically focusing on uh, the uh, the craft. Uh, uh, and uh, there's this guy, uh, Joseph Blumrich, um, who uh, wrote a book in which he went through, and he tried to interpret the description in Ezekiel and put together a model of a spacecraft. And the, the really funny thing is when you look at the – you just go ahead and look at the model that, uh, that uh, Blumrich uh, put together and then read the description, and you realize that uh, Blumrich's spacecraft looks absolutely nothing like the description of God's chariot in Ezekiel. It's absolutely bizarre, you know, because he makes all sorts of uh, substitutions uh, uh, for the wheels within wheels. I guess he's, he he may just made wheels that uh, turn in on themselves or something. I don't know. And he's got like helicopter blades coming out of the legs, and uh, <laughs> it's, so it's sort of like following a recipe for a cake and wondering why you got uh, chili. Exactly, <laughs> and be like. Yeah, th- this is what the recipe is saying. It's for chili, but you know, you look at the two and what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they look absolutely nothing like each other. But uh, the, this guy is apparently an engineer, and he once worked for NASA, so he must be right, right? Oh, there you go. 
Um, but you know, there there are a lot of claims that uh, uh, people uh, uh, make about uh, the Bible. Um, there, there's a there's a whole site if you uh, if you want to go through and look at all of the things that people are saying how the Bible relates to um, uh, that uh, anything. You know, they they say pretty much uh, anything in the Bible. You know, you hear description of clouds. Uh, oh, must have been a UFO or something. Um, and uh, they, they've got all a whole bunch of claims on this site, uh, BibleUFO.com. Um, hmm. Terribly designed website, almost impossible to find anything, but there's a lot of stuff there if you want to uh, roll up your sleeves one day and uh, search through it uh, for uh, articles that these guys are writing claiming that uh, uh, the God of the Bible was actually an alien and uh, what, what their evidence for that is. Oh, uh, yeah, I see it now. You know, it seems like a lot of these people... Have who advocate a lot of these non-mainstream ideas, we'll just say, uh, have websites that look like they were designed in the early 1990s. <laughs> I mean, Richard oh, Hoagland is actually another one. You go to his enterprisemission.com site, and it's just like, th- this looks like it was put together in 1995, and you haven't changed it since then. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I remember uh, uh, how that was. You know, in the 90s, it was all just new. You know, you, you had pretty much everything on one page, didn't organize anything. Well, I did in my website, but <laughs> I, I'm kind of OCD that way. <laughs> Plus, it was 97 as opposed to 95, but uh, splitting hairs here. So, okay, that's that seems to be kind of an interesting piece, and it seems like, just like with most, most things in the Bible or other religious texts, um, and I hope I don't upset too many Christians here. Well, maybe I do, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like you can really interpret it to be whatever you want. Oh, exactly. I mean, um, uh, there, there, there's just this uh, big thing where they, they they'll take um, and, and you know this from uh, all sorts of other things like the way they interpret Nostradamus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, or anything. They'll just uh, latch latch on to any pattern they can find, uh, any any sort of thing, you know. That um, and they and they make substitutions. You know, they, they'll say, oh, well, maybe he really meant this and change, change the text around until what they're saying is something completely different than what the original text asked, actually said. And they think uh, that they're actually doing some sort of uh, valid scholarship there. All right. Well, it's like just like the cooking example. If uh, you know, the recipe says flour, oh, I'll just substitute in black beans for that, which my mom <laughs> actually did once with brownies. And it was just like, mom, r- really? <laughs> You're trying to make healthy brownies so that we're, you know, when we eat them, we'll be healthier. But you just make them so disgusting that we don't want to eat them. Just don't make them. <sighs> um, I have family members who will do the same thing. Yeah. There comes a point where I actually, yeah, to digress even more, I actually follow a food blog that uh, is put out by the wife of one of the faculty members here. And the name of her blog is Use Real Butter. <laughs> Just like, you know, at some point, just just got to follow the instructions. Um, but moving along, actually, were there any instructions for the Nazca lines? Uh, I, I've seen different hypotheses put out there that the Nazca lines were you know, spiritual enlightenment things, or they were runways for airplanes, <laughs> I guess inverted runways, or landing strips, or uh, something. Uh, something to do with ancient aliens. Uh, what do modern archaeologists actually think they were made for? Well, um, there uh, there are a number of theories about the last client. Um, 
they've been claimed to be uh, airstrips because there are a lot of uh, lines running parallel to each other. But, you know, like, they're, they're just crisscrossing all over the place. And if they're, um, like, airstrips, they're uh, very strange ones because, you know, some of them, they're like a meter apart running running together, and they're, they're running for miles and miles over uh, uh, hills, valleys, uh, and uh, all sorts of uh, landscape features. And it's um, it, it really strange if, uh, if, if they were supposed to um, be guiding airships uh, somehow in... It just doesn't make sense uh, in that case. Um, they, they also, um, uh, I guess, uh, their Nazca lines are all, all are also formed uh, into um, animals. Like there's a um, yeah, there's a monkey, a hummingbird, a few a few other ones, um, and uh, those those are really funny because uh, they, um, they they seem to think that uh, the aliens. Uh, asked the humans to make these animals, I guess, as sort of sort of landmarks that they could go by. Um, which is really uh, strange if the if there's these uh, advanced uh, technological aliens, why would they need landmarks? I yeah, <laughs> I kind of assume they would have a more advanced uh, <clears throat> form of GPS, considering that they somehow got here in the first place. Yeah, um, so it, it, it's uh, it seems really strange uh, if they if they were landmarks. The the only the the only thing that uh, that they say in support of that is that. Uh, Oh well, they made them so big, you know, like uh, that they're visible from the sky. Uh, they've got to be visible to somebody, which uh, <laughs> really isn't much of an argument at all, um, because you know they uh, they're they're either doing it for their gods or you know um, there might be a hill close by that they can look down uh, down upon them on. on. They're, they're pro- I figure they're probably for some religious uh, purpose, and that's what a lot of people uh, seem to think. Um, I've heard some speculation that um, uh, there were uh, a lot of these uh, images were walked along. You know, they were lines that people would walk along, I guess, uh, maybe to give them some sort of spiritual power on different days of the of the year or something. Um, sort and, of like uh, walking the labyrinth with churches. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of. Um, and um, the 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 speculation is because uh, uh, they're it's done in one continuous line. Uh, coming in one end and going out the other, that maybe these were meant to be walked uh, walked along, uh, and then when you get to the end, uh, you know, maybe some sort of spiritual fulfillment there or something. Okay, or you you walk your you got your exercise for the day, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, so we we don't uh, exactly know uh, exactly why they made these lines, there, but the, uh, one thing there there really is no mystery as to how they made the lines because um, there've been modern. Uh, attempts to do it and it's it's pretty easy to do it's basically just scraping away the soil uh mostly and uh uh, they they can do it fairly easily you just uh uh, got to prepare and make sure you know what you're doing well what about the claim with the nazca lines that there's at least one I, i don't remember if it's a type of spider or a type of monkey or primate that supposedly the the line or the shape represents a species that was not native to that area of the world. So the only possible way that they could have designed it was if some aliens brought the species over and showed them the exact anatomical difference and had them design that. Have uh, you heard I, about that one? I have not heard of that one, but that that sounds really interesting, and I would uh, uh, like to uh, uh, look into that uh, more sometime. All right. Well, you have your assignment now. <laughs> Get back to me in a week, and I'll grade your homework. <laughs> you know you get homework from this, did you? Ah, crap. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, well, well, moving on from Nazca lines, let's go to another form of uh, perhaps more abstract pareidolia. Uh, you wanted to talk about the face on Mars, and I feel it necessary to point out that I will be talking a lot more about the face on Mars in this uh, podcast series or program, whatever you want to call it. What, what is a podcast called? Because there's an episode of a podcast, and then there's the podcast in general. Yeah, what, yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about uh, that distinction myself. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if there's uh, any uh, uh, any real uh, set terminology for that yet. Okay. Well, well, in my broadcast series, we'll say that I will be talking more about the face on Mars, especially in my first episode about Richard Hoagland <laughs> and Pareidolia. Uh, but you had said that there are some specific claims related to the face on Mars uh, with ancient aliens. So if you could give the listeners. I don't know, like a 15-second, this is what the face on Mars is, and then what the ancient alien connection is. Yeah, well, um, uh, the um, the thing about uh, the face on Mars, um, um, now, you know, I wanted to bring bring this up because I thought uh, your listeners might be interested um, in uh, more astronomically uh, related uh, uh, artifacts. And um, it, this happened in uh, 1976 from the Viking spacecraft, uh, they were uh, photographing in, uh, an area of the surface of more Mars known as Cydonia, uh, which, uh, which that's a really cool name for a place, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, they, they found uh, this, um, uh, this artifact uh, that kind of, it's a mountain that looked like a, looked like a face. Um, part of it is in shadow. You know, I guess the part of it that was out of shadow uh, uh, was the part that looked like a face. And it's really interesting because... Um, uh, you know, it, it has this look, you know, like a really alien look, and uh, a lot of people speculate that, oh, this is some sort of alien artifact uh, left uh, maybe from a, a civilization on Mars, or aliens visited Mars and carved out this giant uh, uh, face. Um, but uh, really, the um, the answer is that it's just pareidolia. You know, um, uh, the the face has a there. There's even uh, features of it, like the face has one nostril that really seems to be just a um, uh, a digital uh, uh, artifact because you know there were dots just all over the picture from uh, from places where the da- data didn't get through and uh, there's one dot in the, in the in the right place for a nostril and that like right. really a- adds to the um, uh, to the illusion there um, but uh, this is this is one of those things where they just saw something and uh, we know that it was pareidolia because. Uh, the recent uh, pictures from the Mars Go- Global Surveyor um, have uh, taken very detailed uh, pictures of this mountain, and you, you can basically see that uh, there's really nothing face-like about it. Right. <laughs> and the even more recently, uh, the high-resolution camera high-rise has taken images at a scale of, I think, about 20 centimeters per pixel. Uh, that's the highest resolution that I know of, and it's it's not a face, but there are still people that claim that it is. I guess they they have to claim that uh, the government is covering it up, right? Exactly. The government released it to begin with, pointing out, hey, look, this looks like a face. And now, ever since then, they've apparently regretted it. Mm. So so what are some of the ancient alien, specifically the claims, with regards to it? Well, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I figure you'll probably go over uh, most of the, the claims later, but... Um, uh, basically, uh, uh, the the claim uh, that they're jumping on is that uh, this 
I guess uh, the two claims are either that this is a, a, a lost civilization from Mars or that aliens came down and uh, uh, they uh, left a sign on Mars for us. Um, but uh, this is uh, held up as uh, big evidence that uh, uh, we are not alone and the aliens have visited and left us a sign and why aren't we noticing it? Right? <laughs> and... Um, but, but the pareidolia is very interesting. I've got here um, uh, Kenneth Fader's books, Frauds, Myths, and Mysteries, Science and Pseudoscience and Archaeology. And he goes uh, over uh, uh, the details of this. And it's very interesting to see other examples of pareidolia on Mars. Uh, you've probably seen this. I, I don't know. You, you're uh, really interested in Mars, right? Um, I, I stared at maps of Mars for five years drawing circles. So, so yeah. yes, <laughs> you could say I'm interested. Or at least I'm familiar with it. He's got three examples here. One of them uh, looks remarkably like a smiley face. Have you seen that one? Are you talking about Gale Crater? Um, possibly. Uh, uh, but there, there's also one that looks like a Valentine heart. I haven't seen that one. Uh, but oh, the, smile, the smiley face, uh, did you ever see the movie Watchmen? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't seen the movie, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. Is that the same smiley face that you're talking about? Well, it's a smiley face crater on Mars. Is that what they used for... Uh... Yeah, they used that in Watchmen, huh. in both the movie and, I think, the graphic novel. I see. But yeah, that's a Gale Crater. I'll, I'll post a link to the show notes. <laughs> there, there's also a really interesting one that looks like uh, Kermit the Frog. I've heard of that one. I don't think I've actually seen that one, though. I'll, I'll scan the images in, and uh, you can have a look at it. Uh, they're, uh, they're really fascinating examples of pareidolia that you can see and maybe post it on uh, your website or whatever, but I'll, I'll scan that in and uh, you can have a look at them yourself. They're really remarkable. Yeah, actually, uh, ew, that's okay. That's not a very good Kermit the Frog. I can sort of see it. I, I found it online. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I can sort of see it, but that's a real stretch. Well, yeah, I mean, pareidolia is often a stretch, though, isn't it? Well, sometimes yeah. it's it's really obvious. Well, I mean, especially, like, with faces. I mean, humans are hardwired to see faces. And so, like, the smiley face crater is yeah, very obviously a face to a person. But, uh, yeah, I, I can sort of see Kermit. Well, yeah, you know, you point out, it's got, it's got, well, you've got the Pac-Man-like uh, Muppet uh, mouth and uh, right. kind of a feature that looks like an eye. And, uh, you know, if you squint at it and uh, let yourself uh, get it and indulge your... Uh, inner pareidolia it looks like he's kind of maybe dancing a little bit or something yeah yeah <laughs> smiling or shouting or you know, one of those things that Muppets or do. waving waving he's got one hand in the air i guess oh <laughs> uh, yeah i see that now uh so yeah i'll definitely uh, have a link posted to this on the show notes um but speaking of pareidolia you'd also mentioned a painting of a spacecraft from what 776 ad uh yes um that's um that's really interesting. Uh, there was this. Uh, let me pull it up in my notes here. Uh, right. Um, there's this. Uh, uh, it, it making the rounds. There's this um, image of a painting. Um, it, the man on a horse uh, pointing at a flying saucer, which which seems to be glowing because it's got like uh, the lines around it like that. But it, it, what looks like a flying saucer um, uh, in that, and it's uh, set to date to 776 A.D. Uh, said to be a depiction of a scene, uh, a scene during the siege of Cyberg by the Saxons, and it's supposed to be uh, evidence that somebody of the time saw a UFO. Um, hmm. And 
Now, the, the interesting thing here is that uh, there was a description of a celestial phenomena. Uh, I'm thinking probably a meteor, meteor uh, at the time. But um, uh, the, the fact is that uh, this image is a modern fake, uh, which was, you know, uh, somebody basically um, found this 13th century Spanish fresco uh, depicting the journey of the three magi to Bethlehem. Uh, one of the ba- magi is pointing uh, to the star and you know, this part of the image of the Magi pointing to the star has been uh, uh, kind of uh, copied and traced. And uh, inside the star, they drew a, U- a UFO. And if you look at the two images, it's basically the same, the same image. They just uh, made a whole bunch of modifications to it. Um, this, is, this is not something that somebody uh, uh, actually saw at uh, the uh, Siege of Cyberg. It's, it's, some, it's, a, it's a modern forgery. Uh, that somebody made up, but it's being pasted on all sorts of uh, alien sites as this um, uh, evidence that uh, ancient people, you know, uh, actually saw uh, a UFO and put it in their artwork. Hmm. So kind of like uh, the people who do the modern forgeries of the cave paintings of people and dinosaurs coexisting. <laughs> yeah, that would be the creationists doing that one, right? Uh it- I-, I don't want to point fingers, so we'll just say that that could be a possibility. I see. Uh, so lastly, uh, you had talked about a bone calendar. Right. Um, there are a number of uh, bone artifacts um, that, uh, there, like many people in the archae- archaeological community, um, believe are primitive calendars. Now, this is, this is a theory that's out there. Um, uh, I sent you an image of this antler plaque at, uh, from Abbey Blanchard in France. Uh, in France about, uh, it's about a 30,000-year-old artifact, and it's got these markings on it that uh, seem to represent uh, the phases of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the, the speculation is that uh, the, these were uh, primitive uh, bone calendars um, that uh, they, they noticed the, the moon's phases and uh, they, they put it down like that. But um, you know, it's, 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 sti- it's still speculative and uh, not... Uh, uh, all archaeologists agree with it, but um, the, the interesting thing is that uh, Von Daniken commented on this, uh, and uh, he he seems to believe that it probably is a calendar. And uh, he, well, I'll I'll read to you what he had to say. Um, I'll quote him here: "Quote: Why did Stone Age men bother about astronomical representations? It is uh, it is usually claimed that they had their hands full just to procure sufficient nourishment nourishment on endless hunts. Who instructed them in this work? Did someone advise them how to make these observations, which were far above their level? Were they making notes for an expected visit from the cosmos? Unquote. <laughs> uh huh. And it's you know like. Uh, what like the uh, the ancient uh, primitive men wouldn't have the wherewithal to look up in the sky, night sky, notice that big round shining thing, and figure out uh, that it came in cycles. Yeah, I mean, we we actually in intro astronomy will sometimes have people just uh, for a lab observe the moon a few times a week for a month. You know, it's it's not that hard to look <laughs> up and be like, oh, look, that big bright light in the sky is sort of changing and going in a cycle. <laughs> Of course, it, it, yeah. It's and, the it's the most obvious thing in the night sky. Why wouldn't they uh, take notice of it? Yeah, well, and sometimes it's the second most obvious thing in the daytime sky, <laughs> which you know a lot of actually a lot of intro uh, astronomy students don't realize that 
the moon can also be visible during the day. I've seen it. Yeah. Well, you know, that that was actually one of the first things that I remember about the moon. I remember in when I was four or five years old looking up and seeing the moon during the day and thinking, well, that's not fair. <laughs> the sun's only allowed out during the day, so the moon should only be allowed out during at night. <laughs> you know, yeah, if I can do that as a four-year-old... I why think can't the universe uh, obey it. our preconceived notions, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so I, I kind of responded to you when you sent me this image of, okay, so aliens came here from at least tens, if not thousands or hundreds of thousands of light years away, and all they gave primitive people was a bone with holes drilled into it. You know, it's kind of like the person who gives socks to someone at uh, as a wedding present. Just like, <laughs> so so this is all you got me? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, they're, they're willing to interpret everything. I mean, like, all of these artifacts, and they, they have this a wonderful term for artifacts. They call them OOPARTS, um, which is an uh, acronym for, uh, or I guess, yeah, it's an acronym, uh, out-of-place artifacts. Uh, mm. That uh, is how they term them, uh, and um, they they claim these things. Uh, you know, the these are just uh, natural things to do with. I mean, markings in a bone. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's just natural to assume that they could make markings in a bone for their level of cultural sophistication. I mean, they uh, take take these uh, artifacts, which. Uh, you know, can be naturally explained in terms of the cultures they were in, but they tried to make some sort of mystery out of them. Yeah, well, you know, that seems to be uh, basic anomaly hunting, which we'll we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, so that actually takes care of a lot of um, some of the main evidence claims, and we're already running at about 50 minutes. So uh, quickly, um, these things didn't really come out of thin air. There are some key people involved in ancient alien ideas, and we've already mentioned a few of them, but I was hoping uh, that you could give us a brief summary of some of these people, sort of what their take is, what the evidence they cling to is, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I was hoping that you could start with Giorgio Tsoukalos and also Giorgio Tsoukalos's hair. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Giorgio Tsoukalos, maybe it's Tsoukalos. Is that how he pronounces it, Tsoukalos? Uh, that's how they pronounce it on Coast to Coast. Um, I've always been pronouncing it Sucalos. Yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you Don't worry, me. we'll we'll get David Hatcher Childress in a bit. <laughs> you corrected me on Childress. You didn't have anything to say about Sucalos, uh, if that's how they pronounce it. Um, well, that's because I don't know if George Nori actually knows how to pronounce these big, long, foreign names. Yeah, well, I don't either. I'll, I'll just continue calling him Sucalos then. Um, we can now, just call him Giorgio. Yeah, Giorgio. Giorgio, he's he's the star of the show. He's uh he's the show's con- consulting producer, and he's the one guy that's uh, you know on there the most out of out of all the others. I think uh, uh, that um, Childress comes in a close second, uh, but Sukalos, Suka- uh, Giorgio, um, he's the show's consulting producer, uh, and he's the publisher of Legendary Times Magazine. Which is dedicated to promoting to promoting the ancient alien theory. Um, he gets uh, submissions from all the major figures in the in the field, and uh, apparently he also helps to arrange conferences and expeditions. So he's like he's a he's a major player in this. And yeah, you mentioned uh, Giorgio Sukalos's hair. Um, <laughs> everybody notices uh, his hair in the uh, ancient alien series. He 
Yeah, you know, it's comparable to uh, Londo from uh, uh, Babylon 5. He, It's one of those things, you know, like, I'm wondering if he's doing it on purpose. What, you know, it makes me wonder whether he's really serious about this. I'm thinking it's entirely possible that he's just punking everybody and um, just, you know, uh, putting on a joke and, you know, putting in these little clues that he's not really serious. Well, if you listen to him, he, he sounds serious. But, you know, in the end, I kind of get to the same thing that I say with Richard Hoagland. You know, I don't know if this guy actually believes everything he says, but the fact that he puts it out there and that there are other people who believe him kind of makes it fair game in terms of criticizing or critiquing and figuring out where they go wrong in their arguments or exploring their arguments to see if there's any validity. So oh, yeah. That, yeah does he that... have any any actual claims himself, or does he just draw on everyone else? <laughs> well, um, I'm not uh, sure exactly uh, how, many, how many claims are, uh, are his. Or, uh, well, he, he says a lot of things in the show. I don't know uh, if any of them are his original, uh, because there's a whole lot of uh, aspects to ancient aliens, and it's like impossible for a single person to examine every single one of them and figure out where they originated. Okay. Um, but uh, he he's made some uh, some uh, really uh, interesting uh, claims. One um, one of them that that I really love that uh, puzzled me for a little bit. Um, he said uh, that uh, there's some sort of dis- description of. Uh, 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 that the ancient Egyptians um, had some sort of a, a kind of like seeming to be magic paper that they wrote on and put it on put it on the on the stone slabs and then it made them levitate so they can just push them along. Yeah, and he said that there's a description of it and I had trouble finding it. Um, uh, there are two possibilities. I finally figured out either he's talking about uh, um, the an ancient. Uh, uh, Japanese uh, form of uh, spell where putting a paper on thing it's called an ofuda usually they're used as good luck charms um, and those in, in, like in uh, in folk tales they can be used to perform magic um, or he's talking about this other um, uh, ancient uh, well not really ancient it's a medieval um, Arabic scholar I believe who just came out and uh, made, gave a little uh, description of, of them doing something similar uh laying out some sort of track and poking them with a special metal stick and uh, causing the blocks to float that way. So that could have been it as well. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, he, he, he's he got a whole lot of things. He said a lot of uh, uh, really weird uh, stuff. Uh, he, he was uh, pushing uh, the, the whole uh, Bloomrick thing that we talked about uh, earlier, um, saying that... Uh, uh, he, he had the, this one claim that, uh, that really floors me about... Um, Saying that because um, now, now you got to understand that Bloomrick uh, made his uh, little uh, uh, chariot uh, uh, in order to fit into the temple as described in Ezekiel. Um, so, like that's how that's how he sized it and everything. But uh, apparently, uh, some other guy came along, Hans Herbert Beyer, and created a mock-up of uh, the temple of in Ezekiel. And uh, Giorgio's claim is that oh, look, uh, the model of uh, Bloomrick's ship fits perfectly into the temple. You know that. Therefore, you know they they didn't uh, have any. Uh, they didn't uh, talk to each other or anything. This is proof by indication. He says, mm-hmm. which is like, oh yeah, it fits in. Uh, he built it to fit into the temple. The the, the measurements of the temple were right in Ezekiel. He didn't need uh, Hans Herbert Byers' model in order to do it. Okay, that's 
Giorgio. Uh, there are some bigger players, though, I think, with, with their own sort of mythologies built around this stuff. Uh, what about uh, Graham Hancock? Graham Hancock, he's the author of a book called Fingerprints of the Gods. Um, now, um, in my analysis, when I was going through this, the only time he came up uh, was when he was talking about ancient maps uh, that he says uh, showed uh, Antarctica in great detail. Um, he, he's a, he's a he kind of guy that goes in the same uh, uh, footsteps as uh, Von Daniken, uh, suggesting that uh, different cultural artifacts couldn't have been developed by those primitive cultures, you know, and um, he's one of the uh, advocates of the theory that the pyramids just appeared out of nowhere without any antecedents. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot to say on the on the subject there. Okay, what about Robert Bouval? <laughs> Bouval. Yeah, um, he's uh, Robert Bouval is really into uh, Egyptian stuff. Uh, he's the author of a book called uh, The Egypt Code. Um, and um, he's he, he's one of these other guys who argues that uh, the ancient Egyptians couldn't possibly have moved those big stones in order to build the pyramids. Okay, it seems like uh, very Egypt-centric. I mean, do, is it like when these people figure out their stuff, they generally start with the pyramids and then go from there? I mean, have you noticed that at all, or is it just uh, uh, we're picking from these two people so far? Well, I, I have noticed that there, there's just a there is a lot of Egypt stuff in the ancient aliens. They they love to pick on uh, on Egypt. Uh, they couldn't possibly have built the pyramids, you know. Hmm. I guess okay. the pyramids are the biggest thing. It's the it's the one that incites the most uh, public imagination. I think. Well, they they are big. People <laughs> do like big things. Yeah. Uh, we won't dwell on that. So, what about David Hatcher Childress? And as far I'm pretty sure it, it is Childress. At least that's how I've always heard it pronounced, except on your podcast. <laughs> I'll go with Childress. Uh, I'll be corrected by you about that. Um, he's a, he's very popular on the show. <clears throat> he's a, the author of a book called Technology of the Gods, um, and he uh, he's a big advocate of. Uh, and the, we're moving on from Egypt now to uh, to India. He's a big advocate of the Vimanaka Shastra <clears throat> as an ancient document. Um, and of course, you know it's really not an ancient document. We know that it's a um, it's a 20th century creation um, made by uh, some guy who claimed to be uh, channeling uh, uh, ancient spirits in order to uh, get this knowledge. Um, so you know, there's really no doubt about uh, uh, about uh, the Vimanaka Shastra. But it's one of those books that. Uh, Talks about all these uh, different vimanas that ancient people flew around in, uh, the, these flying machines. Uh, he he advanced uh, the theory that the archaeological site of Monte Alban uh, from 500 BC is really an airport, which there's no evidence for that. It, it looks nothing like an airport. Uh, there are n- no room for r- runways or anything, but uh, he doesn't really give anything to back that up. Uh, so actually. If we backtrack a bit, the Vimanas, I mean, that's something that I've heard a lot with, in particular with claims uh, of ancient aliens from India. So supposedly the Vimanas were these flying machines, but you're saying that the the whole reference to the Vimanas was actually a modern creation? Um, well, not the whole reference to the Vimanas. The Vimanaka Shastra uh, is okay. a modern creation. Uh, but in in the ancient uh, uh, Indian documents, the, the Sanskrit documents, um, uh, their um, uh, Bhagavad Gita, I think, or maybe the uh, Ramayana, they, they've mm-hmm. got uh, references uh, to vimanas. Now, vimanas could be a number of things. They could be um, 
they could be uh, chariots or um, uh, palaces or whatever. Uh, and some of them uh, were uh, uh, were things that the gods used to fly around in in these stories. Um, so there there are uh, some uh, indications of you know these uh, these stories have tales of gods flying around in things. Uh, uh, who would have thunk that gods would do that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they can do everything else, so I suppose they should be able to fly. Uh, okay, so what about Christopher Dunn? He's a name that comes up, uh, I guess, getting back to Egypt, actually. Yeah, uh, Christopher Dunn. As far as I can tell, he's not actually an ancient alien theorist, but he he appears in the show. Um, he thinks that the ancient Egyptians were much more highly technologically advanced than we previously thought. Um, uh, he's got this theory out there that the Great Pyramid uh, was actually built to be a power plant and that they used these giant uh, circular saws in order to uh, cut up uh, blocks and stuff. He's got a bunch of uh, pictures on his website uh, on his website of markings that he interprets as being made by advanced machine tools. Now, I've gone over these pictures that he puts out there, and uh, as far as I can see, no two of them uh, represent the same kind of marking. So it, it seems clear to me that he's just anomaly hunting here. Hmm. Um uh, but uh, I've looked over his site. As far as I can tell, uh, he uh, he hasn't mentioned uh, anything about uh, uh, ancient aliens. He's just got these um, uh, funny and uh, kind of interesting ideas, actually, about uh, uh, advanced uh, how that the Egyptians were more advanced than we thought they were. Um, although you know, it's pretty much the the same as anything else. It's just anomaly hunting, and I don't think there's anything to it. We're nigh on to an hour for this interview, and I feel like we can go on for another several, uh, but I know that you have an episode of your critically acclaimed Invisible Sky Monster podcast that you need to record in a bit. Uh, so by way of sort of summarizing this up, I was hoping that you could give a general idea about the way these claims work, so some of the overall themes about how these people go wrong in their thinking, like you had mentioned and we've mentioned, uh, anomaly hunting is a big one. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, they, they pretty much uh, look for it. And anomaly, it, it's pretty much uh, in everything, any kind of conspiracy theory that you have, have out there. It's pretty much just looking for something that you, they think don't match up. They, you know, don't uh, have any uh, idea what it means, uh, really. But, uh, you know, you look for something and it uh, and you say, hmm, I don't think that matches up without having any knowledge about, uh, uh, you know, all the things that could happen. Because there are a lot of stuff that happens in any situation and a lot of it is stuff that you just don't know about. Um, but and uh, they, they find these things and say, "Hmm, that's strange." But you know, there there really can be good uh, alternative explanations for them, and they they don't really have any uh, any real idea of uh, what they they really mean. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's anomaly hunting will get you in a lot of things. I mean, if you ju- <laughs> you just have to go to conspiracy theories to to get an idea of anomaly hunting. Uh, but are there any other sort of general? Uh, themes in the way that the ancient alien stuff and the general ideas work besides anomaly hunting? Well, you mentioned uh, argument from ignorance, and um, there there is, yeah, a lot of uh, argument from ignorance. Also, argument from incredulity. Uh, they can't imagine how these primitive cultures could have created these achievements. Therefore, it must have been aliens. That, that's one of the big things there, but that's both uh, argument from ing- ignorance and argument from incredulity. Yeah, sort of a, a merge between the two. If I can't believe it, therefore this. Right. 
um, without uh, go, you know, without even trying to to figure out, uh, you know, some. They'll, well, they'll say they try, but you know, they they just uh, they they they're not willing to uh, uh, look for the you know uh, alternative explanations that uh, might say something else, or, or they're not willing to believe them. Uh, you know, that's the incredulity part. Well, it actually almost seems as though this breed of ancient alien believers has sort of replaced God with alien. I mean, in fact, a lot of the books that you've mentioned when uh, talking about specific people, they specifically say gods. So it's they're replacing the ancient civilization's belief in gods with, well, this wasn't a god, this this was an alien. Well, yeah, and um, that, that's, uh, that's one thing that, that I uh, really get a lot of people... And people like to say they say that uh, the the it makes more sense to them aliens, um, and um, what I say to that, you know, because they, what they say is, oh, you 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 think that it's some supernatural uh, god, and uh, aliens is a much more reasonable uh, explanation. And the thing I say to that is, you know, it's pretty much on the same level because you know, in both cases, you've got something for which there is absolutely no evidence for. Um, and in that sense, they're pretty much on the same level. You can't use either of them as an explanation when you don't have any uh, evidence, uh, you know, the, uh, anything about them. Um, so, like, it, the only thing that uh, aliens have, uh, the explanation of aliens uh, benefits from, is that it's a little more consistent with our, uh, uh, w- with our understanding of how the universe works. Like, but uh, that really doesn't mean anything uh, when you're... Uh, trying to uh, make an argument uh, from uh, some sort of being that uh, you haven't even shown to ever exist. Well, I mean, I guess they could just claim that the evidence they exist is in these out-of-place artifacts. Well, yeah, that's, that's, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what they claim. And um, But, you know, in order to uh, show that you know, you you have the same uh, struggle in showing that it's either uh, made by aliens or whether it's done by God. And first, you have to show that uh, either a- these aliens or God exists, and they and they haven't uh, met that burden of proof. Okay. Well, speaking then of burden of proofs, um, I like to ask this question, sort of by way of wrap up. If you could get any one of these people in a room and they had to talk with you, what would you ask them? <laughs> Oh um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. Well, let's see, we've just uh, got, gone over uh, all of them. Um, well, yeah, first, who would well, it be, and then what would you ask them? I think Giorgio Sukalos is is by far the most interesting of them. Okay, well, you can't ask him um, about his hair. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> okay, okay, um, you can ask him about his hair, but then what other question would you ask? Okay. Um, well, uh, Giorgio Sucalos, um, I think, uh, basically, I-, I probably just want to go over, um, uh, one of his claims, maybe his claim about, uh, the, the, uh, block, moving the blocks, and, uh, I want to figure out what exactly his sources are, uh, for that. Maybe that's what I would ask him. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So then, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to get in before I say adieu? <laughs> Uh, to you? Well, you you were uh, talking about how they just uh, often uh, make things up, and I've noticed there's a lot of this. And I think part of the problem there is that uh, nobody uh, in the um, uh, in the community of uh, ancient alien theorists 
feels any need uh, to go around and look for primary sources. So anybody can just say something, even fraudulently, and it still gets passed around. Nobody double- bothers to double check it. And so it's it's really easy for people to uh, mistake something or just make things up, and it, it grows and uh, people are just uh, you know taking it and taking it as uh, uh, some sort of fact, uh, and, and that's how these things uh, often get get passed around. So you, you could uh, I, I could go out there and I could just make something up about uh, some sort of evidence for ancient aliens, and I bet it would get passed around. And you'd get interviewed by the History Channel. <laughs> Oh, exactly. That would be fun. Okay, well, um, I guess then that's about it. So I wanted to thank you for being on my podcast. Uh, after all, I was on yours. This is sort of like a Jetsons meet the Flintstones uh, <laughs> crossover kind of thing. Actually, almost literally, because you know, astronomy, aliens, visiting ancient people. So <laughs> it works better than I thought it would. And we've gotten to a, a wacky madcap adventure. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I... I hope that people will not give this a four star, but <laughs> we'll give it give it more. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and everybody go to uh, dumbassguy.info or invisibleskymonster.com, listen to my podcast, give me good ratings on iTunes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the, the obligatory plug. Yeah, give him better ratings than I gave him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I will link up to your stuff uh, in my show notes, as well as a lot of these references that we've talked about and some of the images. Uh, So with that said, uh, thanks for being a guest, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully the listeners enjoyed it, and uh, we'll get some feedback. So I'll talk with you later. Talk to you later. Thanks again to Parrot, a.k.a. Dumbass, for agreeing to come on to talk about the ancient aliens' ideas. The Q&A puzzler feedback will all return in the next episode of this podcast, which is going to be sort of the way that I'm going to do it from now on with the first and third quarter of the month having those segments. That wraps up this topic for the 18th episode of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little at the same time. For more information about this podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website, send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website. I read every email, every feedback, and I appreciate it. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. If you like this podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes. Also, tell your friends, family, pets, and other people or creatures who may be interested in listening. Mm-hmm.